Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston. I'm your host today and we're back just a few days after the last podcast, of course. We recorded on Friday afternoon with me and Tyrone Marshall. I've got another colleague today after his return uh, of his holiday, Samuel Luckers. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's like couples therapy here for it myself. Is. It's hard. It is. is everything okay I've between you? I've got a lot two? to get off my chest. How long have we got this room booked for? Um, hopefully you don't end in divorce by the end of this podcast, you two. Uh, we'll bring you both back together after Samuel's time away. Um, Samuel, where's your tan? You've not got a tan? No, no, there was no, uh, no holiday. There were a couple of personal commitments. But the, the, the closest I got to tan was Blackpool. I had a, had a day at Blackpool. We were having a, some, some beach football uh, when, when the weather was good. So, yeah, that was, that was the newest I got to a tan. I, I can never compete with yours. Of course, it's just a... Thing you have to do if you're from Newcastle, you have to wear fake tan, Samuel. And Samuel was at Blackpool and you were at Alton Towers at the weekend, Tyrone. On, but I, I was, yes, a weekend at uh, at CBB's land. Um, yeah, very uh, interesting and enjoyable weekend. I'm actually. sure you wouldn't have spent your Saturday any other way. No, exactly. I was just talking to you about the um, the Saturday night trip that was sitting in a postman pat decorated room watching England in the Rugby World Cup. Actually, I didn't see the football, but yeah, it was quite a strange experience sitting there with a a pint taken from the bar with Postman Pat just above the bed and uh, we went on the Postman Pat ride five times over the weekend so yeah I'm this still, is what international weeks do to parents yeah, people in I'm still just coming down from the adrenaline of, of that so yeah you're surprised you can string a sentence together uh, this afternoon so I'm impressed by that anyways football and matters let's just get straight into it uh, big story on Sunday afternoon Samuel obviously you were on holiday I was on the desk uh, Anthony's return to training has been delayed until further notice was the exact uh, terminology used. The club obviously believe that reflects how serious they're taking these allegations, which me and Tyrone discussed at length on Friday. Um, it was probably the right decision, wasn't it, to delay this return to training? It, it was going that way and they, they possibly could have made that decision two weeks ago, two months ago even. I think Anthony addressed those allegations firstly in in June. He, he put something on his, on his Instagram account but there was a precedent that was set with the Mason Greenwood situation, which was obviously extremely serious and, and also quite unique in that the allegations came into the public domain. And of course, Greenwood was arrested. Anthony hasn't been arrested. We should stress that he is under investigation by uh, GMP. Uh, there was almost more be curiosity from my behalf, just like having a look in at what was going on last week, because it did feel like United were trying to dodge the issue or stick their heads in the sand and hope that when they brought them back up that it the, the situation would have cleared up and it would have gone away and it was never going to go away. Anthony did he, his own interview in, in Brazil as well uh, where he gave his version of events. But when there's a Greater Manchester Police investigation ongoing, you've got to treat that seriously. And it's, it's the sensible decision, it's the wise decision it was also about time that United put in a statement condemning violence, domestic violence, uh, violence against women. Um, there was, on the deadline day when they communicated that Mason Greenwood was going to Hetafe, the last paragraph in their, um, you know, in their explanation for that almost depicted Greenwood as a victim, which I still can't quite understand uh, if there was a victim in that whole um uh, situation. It was the alleged victim, as, as we all know. And really, with Anthony, it's it, 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 ha it had to be done. But again, 
I, I asked Ten Hag about this, um, about the allegations against Anthony at a press conference. It was prior to the Forest game. And the answer he gave alarmed me. And I checked with Freddy Caldera, who we uh, will know who's a Brazilian journalist and he's been living and working in Manchester for a number of years and just checked with him, is, is this the case? I'm pretty sure it's not the case. And he said, no, the case in Brazil is ongoing. I, I was staggered that nobody at United heard the alarm bells blaring at that point and at the end of the press conference didn't gather the journalists there and say, look, I accept what, what the manager said there was inaccurate because it wasn't accurate. It wasn't legally publishable either. And they could have got on top of the situation at that point. But the actual answer appeared in the press conference video on the club website and on the club app which, again, I was, I was staggered by. It should have been removed from it. And they have done that before. At times, there was a, there was a question centred on um, a, a player a number of years ago uh, who, who was about to appear in court, not a United player, but the answer that Jose Mourinho gave at the time, you, couldn't, you could not publish that whatsoever. And it was actually, I think it was actually one of the journalists who informed United um, look, you can't, you can't have this in. It wasn't United's uh, legal head kicking in. And I just don't quite understand how United are operating at times with really, really serious matters. And similar to this Greenwood situation, they have eventually made the right decision with Anthony with this leave of absence until, um, you know, the GMP uh, take the next uh, step and uh, the, the, there's, there's possibly more to come in Brazil as well. But the way they've gone about it, it still poses a lot, an awful lot of questions. It, at the moment, it feels quite a rudderless club, unfortunately. The Mason Greenwood situation was just not handled well. That's an absolute fact. Um, it was hoped that lessons would be learned from that situation going forward. As Sam just said, the way the club would handle future situations like that. Are they becoming slow learners? Are they being too slow yet? Or what do you think the handling of this situation? Because it's been very sensitive and, and delicate, hasn't it? There's been allegations made in summer and obviously fresh allegations that came out last week. What have you made of their, their handling, I guess, uh, the last few days? Yeah, I think it's taken them a while to get their, their ducks in a row. Um, I mean, it is, it's a difficult one. The way they've handled it and, and what Samuel said about the manager's answer in a press conference, it, it has been a case of just hoping it goes away. I think, um, you know, these allegations have been around for months, really. This, this isn't, it's, it's gathered steam in international break because the, one of the alleged victims gave, gave an interview and there was the, the UOL investigation and other women have come forward since. But the initial allegations have been around and known for a long time, for two or three months now. And even initially, United felt it was something that was just gaining traction in Brazil and, and wasn't to be taken that, that seriously. Um, you know, I asked them about it and the view was that it... it you know, it, it was barely getting any traction in England, which told you everything about how, how reliable it was. But that's obviously not the case. It has given the impression of they just hope it goes away. Um, it hasn't gone away. These aren't easy cases to handle, to be fair. I mean, he, Anthony hasn't been arrested. He hasn't been charged with anything. We all know there's players currently and in the past who have played in the Premier League who have been arrested and who have been charged previously. Um, so it, it's a difficult situation because... This is, this is happening in the public. There's other cases that have happened away from the public eye where players have been able to continue playing because their name's not in the public, so public domain. So it, it's a difficult one for United and, and they might feel hard done to in a sense because of that. But, you know, when there's, when there's three 
complainants now, it, it's probably the right thing to do. The the difficulty, I guess, when you when you take this action is that what comes next? How how do you now bring him back into the fold? Obviously, if he's arrested or charged, especially if he's charged, it, it becomes very simple. If not, well, you know, when does this end? Are you now waiting for the investigation to come to a conclusion? That I mean, that could be months. Could be months and months. Could be, you know, almost the rest of the season potentially. So, it's it's a difficult one to know what comes next. Now, I think that they've they've reached the right decision. I think they had to reach the right decision, especially after what happened with Greenwood. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think they've got there in the end. But it is, you know, what comes next is the next question. But like you say, the the handling of things, the the way they kind of did, you know, that there's no doubt they didn't take it seriously when it was first mentioned in, in the Brazilian press. I think it was in June, you know, that they did not take it seriously. The fact they thought it was done and dusted a few weeks ago shows they still weren't taking it seriously. They've had to take it seriously now. They've, they've probably come to the right conclusion. I think we all agree they've come to the right conclusion. And now they'll, they'll just want a swift resolution, I guess, in, in some way, shape or form. But the fact that there's an investigation in Manchester, an investigation in Sao Paulo, it could drag on and on, I guess, from this position. I think we started last week's podcast with Anthony and we went on to Sancho, Jaden Sancho, because there's just been two massive stories in the last two weeks. So we'll just do it again. We'll just repeat ourselves <laughs> and do it again. We'll move on to Sancho. And a man reporting for work usually isn't a story, Samuel. We've all done it today. But it certainly was yesterday when Sancho comes into the Carradine after his time off for the international break. Understood, obviously, to have some talks with Ten Hag. Me and Tyrone kind of got into what we expected to happen uh, this week and the consequences for Sancho. So would you like to add your opinion on that and how do you think that's going to develop this week ahead of Brighton? Because I think importantly, that tweet is still pinned on his social media. That's, 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 it's still that, is, that is pretty staggering. I was, I was told that, that there was whispers, I think, back in February about... I hate the phrase, but a PR guru who was starting to work with Sancho and it's been suggested that that relationship is now quite firm, even though it's not in the public domain yet. If he has indeed chosen this PR guru as his advisor, then it's probably a worse performance than any of these training performances that have reputedly unimpressed Ten Hag. And it would also account for the, the tweet being pinned. I mean, sometimes with footballers, and I don't mean this in as a slight on them either where where they don't you know have have normal education that we do they're not going to always be grammatically correct when they put a statement out or you can tell that it's been uh, done by a pr advisor or someone who's handling their communications and that did strike me as something that had been handled by his comms even though there was still a, a grammatical error in it but it is the wrong way of going about it however you way you look at it i mean he's someone who has underperformed for united near consistently for two years and he's accused the manager of of lying essentially he, he said what he said was untrue and we, there's no point getting into the minutiae of like if it went to court or something like that where he could say well you know I, i'm i wasn't referring to that i was referring to what people are reading and that that he could like say i wasn't referring to ten hag there which would be ludicrous we know that he was referring to what ten hag had had said it was just a strange phraseology of it but he really shouldn't have a leg to stand on. And I mean, I, I listened to what you, your discussion last week and it was telling that United weren't knocking back the possibility of him being sold to Saudi Arabia. I, I wrote back in September that, uh, sorry, not in September, we're in September now, but in April, 
that Tanag was becoming impatient with Sancho. And I made the, editorially, we, we made the conscious decision not to pin it on him as the top line because you are conscious sometimes of, of scapegoating a player, ironically. Now, Te- Sancho has used that word. I don't think anybody has scapegoated him. As, as Rich said on our train journey back from Arsenal, he said, if anything, there's been this concerted and, and encouraging attempt to big him up to try and get his confidence you used that word at Borussia Dortmund do you know when he had a bit of a fallout as well there's a, an old statement from I got thrown on Twitter and he uses the word scapegoat again just interestingly enough right. so I just thought that, that was an interesting aspect when I saw so that but he was he, he did okay in pre-season and I think people were trying to say yeah he's, he's looking alright as a Falkstein just in the hope that he actually got a run out there and uh, it's it's on Ten Hag that in the four games United have played this season he's picked the wrong striker in, in every one and Sancho should have started at least one of those games uh, the, the Forest one was the obvious one to bring him in and you can understand he'll look at Anthony playing like a drain and um, be unhappy that he kept on getting selected on, on sporting grounds and also arguably the moral grounds as well given the investigations and he's also bound to be disgruntled that Marshall doesn't have a kick across pre-season as soon as he's deemed match fit he comes in and you know, it's, it's Tony Marshall scoreless again, as, as we expect every time he plays. But as, as, as uh, I think it was Chris Usson who said last week, he said, whatever happened to knocking on the manager's door? And that's what he had to do. And it's a generational thing. Players, they, they can't go off to a newspaper and shoot their mouth off. They can get their message across in a split second just through social media. But for him to have the brass neck to do it, I, I just thought... I, also, I don't think it's rep- uh, reflective of him. When you speak to people at United, what they say about him, they say how he's a good kid. Uh, he spends... He's very generous with his time with uh, fans outside Carrington, staff like him. I go back to when we were at Leicester last season and what, observing him in, in the mix zone as Ty was speaking to him and other journalists. And at the end of it, you should call the journalist hands and um, by the hand and, and also the cameraman. And the cameraman there clearly looked like someone who is accustomed to footballers not acknowledging his existence. Here was a footballer acknowledging his existence. So I can imagine there's an element of him being frustrated. I can also imagine that maybe a PR advisor has got his claws, got their claws stuck into him and, and run with this. But ultimately it was on his account that that statement was posted. It was a daft thing to do. And I think one way or another, this this has to be his last season at United, uh, unless somehow his form takes off and he becomes the player he was at Dortmund who, who got into the England squad at, what, the age of 18 or 19, I think it was, when he made his debut against Croatia five years ago nearly. I think back then you wouldn't have imagined him to be on... I think he's on 23 caps at the moment, which is a pretty um, meagre amount for someone who looked such a talent at City and, and at Dortmund. But at United, I think bar bar a six-week period under Ralf Rangnick, he is he's been poor. And the other thing, there's been this suggestion over the last week. It was an interesting story by by Sammy Mockball about whether Ten Hag had breached confidentiality by by uh, referring to a mental issue. It's, it's very, very dangerous to conflate a mental issue with mental health, which I think has been the suggestion. 
we've you know you talk about have you has someone got the mental wherewithal to deal with a job I've, I've seen colleagues here before your time who didn't have the mental uh, wherewithal to to be a journalist they go into another um industry you've seen with a lot of players at man united they have not got the mental resilience to cope with the pressures of playing for man united and i'd say sancho is one of them and ten Hag has not once said it was a mental health issue I certainly don't think, given the amount of time he was off last year, which was, I think he went 102 days without playing. He was away for three months. Nobody specified an injury. It was clear that it was to get himself into better physical shape and that there were maybe some mental issues as well, as as Ten Hag alluded to. But also when he came back, they're they're suggesting that he was he was annoyed by that when he came back he played quite well he got an equaliser against Leeds he was a game changer against Leicester he started against Barcelona winner's medal that was all in the space of the first few weeks when he came back and also um, in his first season he he missed a couple of games due to to a family bereavement in I think it was January there was a that strange international break that month as well for teams in South America and when he came back, that is by far and away the best run of form he's had for United. So it's actually, when he's been given time off by United and United have been good with him, he's come back and he's done well. So that just doesn't stack up, this whole thing that old oh, Ten Hag really shouldn't have said that about him. Sancho wasn't complaining about it. You, you look at the footage of him getting ready to come on against Forrest. He's stood next to Ten Hag smiling. Yeah. So... Look, there only has there has to be one winner in this uh, battle. I'm sure United will do their utmost to avoid the use of the word battle, but Ten Hag can't back down over this. He's he's seen off Ronaldo, he's seen off De Gea, uh, James Sancho is small fry to him. Going back to the point you made earlier about Chris Sutton, if Chris Sutton is the voice of reason. We're in dangerous. Well, I, I I did hesitate. I think when I was saying that, I didn't expect that on today's podcast. I tell you. I know. Just to wrap up this segment then, Ty, the final word on Sancho. Samuel's hit it on the nail uh, there with those comments, but hit it on the nail, hit the head on the nail. Hit the nail on the head. On the head. <laughs> what a mess. Uh, it's actually vodka, it's vodka down there, uh, not, not water. But if, as long as he has this tweet up, we, we said earlier last week, it's an act of defiance, isn't it? And surely coming into this Brighton game at Old Trafford, 3pm kickoff, he's not going to be in that squad, surely, if that tweet remains up. I mean, you'd be amazed yeah. if, if he was sure. in the squad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess the um, the nature of those talks between the two could have changed, given what's happened to Anthony. I don't think Ten Hag will let that come into it. But, it, you know, it, it is, it's a sign of where his, his head is at and where, what his views are. And, and we know that, you know, on the Monday after the Ten Hag's comments, he was... You know, we gave United the chance to to correct the record or to add anything, and it was simply nothing else to say. The manager gave a clear explanation as to why he wasn't selected. Tenag was sticking by his view, and Sancho was clearly sticking by his view. He's not forgotten that post is pinned to the top of his social media profile. I'm sure his agent or someone in his camp would have said, Do you know, that's still pinned to the top of your profile. Do you want to change it? He hasn't done. It's over a week now. You know, that is a clear decision that I am leaving this here. This is still my view. I haven't changed my opinion. And Ten Hag hasn't changed his opinion. So quite what happens from that meeting and, and how they move forward, I don't know, because neither man seems to want to back down. And unless Sancho does back down, he's, he's got problems. I mean, really, you should be looking at this and thinking, right, maybe this is a time to just, you know, eat it up, accept 
the manager's view that I've not been training well enough, even if I disagree, because there's a spot there on the right wing to be had for maybe a few months. And that should be his opportunity to play a run of 15, 20 games and show what, what he can do. He might prefer to play on the left, but we know he can play on the right. Um, you know, it, it should be seen as an opportunity, but I, I don't, I don't think it will be at the moment. Whereas really, he, sh- he you know he should probably be the one saying, right, I'll unpin it now, and I'll I'll go into that meeting with a bit of contrition, heat of the moment stuff, that sort of approach, and and look at that spot on the right wing where Anthony's now unavailable, and think I'll have that. This is my opportunity. But you know, his his social media profile at the moment suggests that, that that's not the place he's in. I mean, I completely agree. Sometimes it's you've got to play the game, don't you? Swallow your pride, apologise, even if you think you're not. Even if, yeah, even if, even if you're apologising with your fingers crossed under the desk, just do it. Just do it's it. It's a sensible yeah. thing. If you're an adult, you're mature. He's 23 years old. Yeah. Take some responsibility. Yeah. Move on. There you go. That's therapy, yeah. isn't it? That's a therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> uh, anyways, that'll be it for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, uh, if you listen to Friday's episode, you might have heard me and Tyrone discussing his new profile picture on Twitter. And I believe our podcast producer, Seb, inserted a picture on YouTube to show the listeners what it looked like. So if you haven't saw it, Seb has just went and placed the photo on my left in a nice little frame. Samuel, what do you think of that? Had to give it a mention before we continued with the it's, footballing it's, matters. It's a worthy final shot in New Jersey to the... In fact, I'm straining to spoiler territory there for <laughs> the Sopranos. I know you side-watched the Sopranos. I finished the Sopranos. I finished yeah. the... I have. I finished the That could have been the final shot of it instead, yeah. couldn't it? Uh, well, what song is it again when... In the Don't stop believing. Yeah. It's my ringtone, actually. Um, but we'll move on back to the more important footballing matters. Samuel, you wrote the line today uh, that... United won four key signings next summer. Some of the names were so linked. Could be more the way it could. It definitely could be more. I think they need more. Um, a few of the names obviously were so linked to the club this summer. There was interest in Jeremy Fringpong from Bayer Leverkusen, for example. So could you just expand on that line, please, to, to start this section and then tell her a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the, defensively, they've had a dreadful start to the season already, but so much is going to change between now and then. And with the fullback situation, you could see them actually saying... Right, instead of having a right back, we'll have a left back. I mean, that's quite fluid. Wan-Bissaka's had a good year, but they're still in this quandary in that he's technically he'll have a year left of his contract, I think, in the summer, is it? Or it's it's, no, sorry, it's, it's the option, isn't it? He's actually entered the last year of his contract. Sometimes you can lose, lose track of time with the plus one option. And you'd still say there's a case to be made that unless he you know, becomes half the attacking fullback that Trent Alexander-Arnold is that you just say look let's cut our losses here he's he's picked up a bit of form there's some resale value most clubs in the Premier League will want him sell him get a right back in that the manager wants and, and Ten Hag is very much the, the, that squad is very much in his image it's his players I mean the McTominay situation is a classic case for it he's given some very 
withering responses on, on on McTominay without one question was on McTominay. He gave a cursory answer, and then he started rhapsodizing about Kobe Mainu, who's a very good young midfielder, but he's also injured. And when he was asked about Amrabat against, uh, sorry, after the Arsenal game, he spoke about, I think the word he used was compromises with certain midfielders, i.e. Scott McTominay, because he doesn't see him as a as a defensive midfielder. And so I think you can apply that to other areas of the squad. I mean, Malassia is injured. He's also not been a particularly good signing bar a purple patch at the start what's what's going to happen there you can you, you could easily see a scenario where coming into the season they're in a situation similar to the end of um, the 21-22 season where you thought well they need a right back and a left back but they're not going to get both so in the end they went with with a left back because that was it was Ten Hag say so but Frimpong is also of particular interest because next summer he's due to have a year left in his contract and that is something that United are looking at a lot more closely with with players. They obviously signed Mason Mount. Uh, they they signed Amrabat. I know Fiorentina have got that extension option, which protects his resale value, and it, it would ensure that they would get um, a, a permanent fee for him if if United uh, take up their option to sign him, which I think is of twenty five million euros. And then in terms of the centre-half situation, they're absolutely going to need one next year because Varane is brittle, Maguire is not wanted and eventually will have to leave. Looking ahead to Saturday's game, United have conceded seven goals in four Premier League games. They've had three centre-halves get injured or unwell. And we all know against Brighton on Saturday, Maguire will not start. It will be Lindelof and Martinez. It would be amazing if, if Maguire somehow started that game. And unfortunately, if Harry Maguire, he comes on at 1-1 against Arsenal, United end up losing 3-1. He's, he's just going to have to face it. He's going to have to leave United at some point, sooner rather than later. And they will want an athletic, uh, imposing centre-half to come in. Um, because with Varane, he's, he, he's, he's been very good, I think, by and large, under Ten Hag. He's going to be 31 next year and he does miss an awful lot of games. And when he's missing, United do tend to feel that they, they tend to feel it. And they've conceded, what, five goals in, in, in the two games that he's not played, uh, which, which also speaks volumes. There used to be this run in his first season where whenever United got thrashed, he wasn't playing. And then I think it was the Brighton one, which was probably the worst of the lot that season where they got thumped 4-0 and, and he was very much uh, front and centre of that. Uh, midfield of course with McTominay I mean the beginning of the end has started there so they'll have leverage to bring someone in and with Van der Beek whenever he does go he is going to go so there's going to be room that they have to fill there and of course up front there's just so much uncertainty over a number of forwards futures at the moment that and, and we already knew that Ten Hag wanted ideally another forward to come in that always seemed unrealistic in the summer but they'll have more leverage to do that next year. I wouldn't necessarily say, although, I mean, the, the story did mention Evan Ferguson, but I think if you're a top club and you're not looking at Evan Ferguson, you're doing something wrong. I mean, City are making it work with Alvarez and Haaland. And I think we all thought that it would always be Haaland with Alvarez playing back up until Haaland decided he wanted to, to move to Madrid. But 
Guardiola is such a great coach he's able to accommodate both of them it would be it would be fascinating to see if United could manage to accommodate Evan Ferguson and and Rasmus Hoyland but the main investment is in Hoyland so I think that they will be on the lookout for for a more um, certainly Gakpo was of interest last season someone of that profile not necessarily Dutch I mean I think it's probably advisable the United don't always go for a Dutch player or someone who have to get some Dutch decorations some Netherlands well, flags you could do a bingo, the bingo checklist and be more appropriate wouldn't it yeah of, of who's uh, well I mean even Amrabat's represented by uh, Keys Voss now very uh, very convenient uh, but they are going to need a forward next year because Greenwood's out of the picture Anthony's out of the picture at the moment Ahmad is injured as Ty said before you could see Ahmad being sold at some point just because he's never really hit him and Ten Hag maybe then destined to never hit it off for one reason or another does Facundo Palestri ever get a meaningful start um, does Jaden Sancho play for United again do you release Anthony Marshall next year at the moment you'd have to say you would so that's that's four five forwards that's probably the majority of the forwards they've got so it has to be one forward at the very minimum but as I said yeah, this is a provisional plan and um, it's it's subject to change and it could change quite a lot the way they've started could you imagine Rasmus Hoyland and Evan Ferguson up front together no, physicality no, if I you were a defender you wouldn't leave the, the dressing room would you You'd be no, but it's it's not the 1990s. <laughs> four four two. two <laughs> that would be the way. Yeah, made made Man United great again by going back to the, the 90s for me. Yeah, Ten Hag's going to get one of those caps on the underside, big red cap for the sideline. Uh, where do you stand on the the right back debate then, Ty? Obviously, Samuel kind of mentioned it there. Juan Basaka, he's in his last year of his deal. There's obviously the option to extend that, which the club probably will. I think they're using talks over a new contract because we love talking about contracts on this podcast, don't we, Samuel? Um, but obviously, Wamba Saka, he's enjoyed such a renaissance over the last six months. He was, well, nine months, God, it's September now. Um, it's not the summer anymore. Um, but he was out of the team, you know, in the cold. He comes back in after the World Cup. His form was brilliant. All of a sudden, Diego Dallo stops playing. Wamba Saka starts, has a run of games. I felt it was significant that he started the, the games at Wembley against Brighton and again the FA Cup final as well. And I thought that was really a, a statement that he was first choice. And then we're coming to the season. Wamba Saka started again, hasn't he, each game? So for all his progress, though, how do you feel about him? Because, I mean, me and Samuel had this debate, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where I said, look, I think he's been fantastic, his improvement. But I've still got niggling doubts over long term yeah. whether he's a, a top elite right back to take you to the next level so would you agree with that point yeah I would yeah I think you'll be happy to have him as a squad player as your number two right back I think it's so where does that leave Diego Dallo it's a, well, it's a conundrum isn't I, it? I think you probably need to sell one of them and buy a, a, a clear number one I mean it's it's the closest selection battle in the United squad but it's not because both are brilliant it's because both are okay uh, you know it's, it, it's not at that level, it's at that level when probably you need someone at that level. Um, good for that. Good on video. If you're listening, you'll have to imagine what I did then. The height of the ceiling. We've yeah. said a lot of things in this podcast that I, I presume the majority of the, yeah. the listeners listen on, Get all on YouTube. And we're, yeah, we're looking a bit daft here, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, who you sell it, it wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't really, wouldn't either, basically. I think you sell either and you sign a right back. For me, that's maybe the, the, the biggest priority this coming summer. Um, it is a right back that looks the, the weakest area of the squad. But, you know, somebody mentioned the four signings there. You're talking another probably £200 million summer. I mean, Tenor's going to have to earn that investment again because you look at what he signed already. And I know there's 
there's always this view we've been through players there who haven't worked but you know this club has spent a fortune over the years and all right a lot of the players haven't worked but at some point a manager's going to have to make them work and Tanag already has signed what a goalkeeper a centre-back a left-back four central midfielders a right winger and a centre-forward 400 million pounds half a team 400 million pounds over two years you know they're there can't be any excuses this year of I haven't got my own right back. Um, you know, you, you and then he to... ends a game with Claude Puel's first choice centre half pair in Leicester five years ago. Um, you know, you, you've got to get, you've got to make it work, and for that investment, you need to keep pushing it forward. And you know, maybe well, the signings you made last year were very good. The fact they finished third was impressive, but you've got to match that this year. And if if they don't match that this year, then there's no guarantee you you get that money to spend at some point. They're going to have to somewhere where they don't spend two hundred million pound. Um, we know how tight they are with FFP. Eventually, you know, City and Liverpool had years of big investment and then quiet years where they spent very little because the squad was there and in place. And, you know, maybe United squad isn't quite in place yet. There's room for improvement. Like, say, a right back next summer looks the obvious one to me. Maybe if you get rid of Martial, you want another number nine. I think you're looking at someone, you know, not in Evan Ferguson's price range, let's put it that way. You're looking at a £40 million striker, maybe who's happy to play. Second fiddle to Hoyland, presuming Hoyland does the business this year. About Veghorst? About, about Veghorst type. Scored again, yeah. Maybe Manchester United with the problem, not Veghorst, I think. Veghorst and McTominay are absolutely banging the goals in international level. So it's Hoyland, to be fair. So it's Hoyland. So yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know if, if they'll need as many as four. I don't know if they'll get as many as four. Because like I say, that's a lot of signings already he's made. That's half, that's half a squad, really, when you go through it. Half a team, half a starting eleven. Um, and this year, it's it's very early days. We've all spoken about the the issues we're seeing within the team that I'm sure Ten Hag is is seeing within the team as well. Um, and if they recover to finish third again, top four again, then you know maybe they they push the button and invest again. But if they finish fifth, then there's no way he'll get that sort of money to spend. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's going to be interesting to see how the season develops because that that top four race looks really tight this year. Um, and if if Ten Hag wants the kind of money that he he clearly desires every summer, certainly at the moment while he's building this squad. We know how hard he pushes his sporting directors. Um, you know, we've mentioned recently his relationship with Mark Overmars and, and when he backed him over Mark Overmars's unwanted text messages, so we say at Ajax, you know, those two have been on a really good relationship because basically Overmars gave Ten Hag what he wanted. Ajax's two most expensive transfer windows in the history were under Ten Hag. Um, he, he got the money he wanted. I think he's got a pretty decent relationship with John Murtick because he gets the money in the players he wants. Um, but to keep that happening, they're going to have to finish in the top four again. They're going to need another striker, the one, surely. I mean, next summer. You've got Anthony Martial, who's now on the last year of his contract. He's going to, I mean, finally he's going to leave the club. What's that, nine years? Will it be in, in the summer or around that? I think he's is in his, he's into his ninth season. I looked at the encyclopedia there for a reason. I knew he'd confirm for his. But. Rasmus Hoyland, we've talked about the pressure on his shoulders already. He's such a young lad, he's, he's raw, and it's going to take time for him to adapt to the Premier League. And he's rightly going to be given that time. But if he can't just be the only striker. I know Rashford can play there too, but he's not an out-and-out centre-forward. So next summer, they're going to have to sign a striker on. And if Tyrone says possibly a, more of a 40 million striker instead of another big outlay. Or you sign... You sign a versatile forward. That Someone who can play across the front line. But does anyone come into your head? I mean, the market's so difficult at the moment. I thought that in the summer. Does anyone pop into either of your heads? When if, you if, if, you're to be, if you're to be pedantic about it, you, you'd probably say goal scorer because although you know, the number nine is, is back on vogue again, 
Um, it's still quite a specialist, as you and I discovered in the summer, it's such a specialist role that you're either making a compromise and sign Hoyland for still quite a substantial fee, but in their own pe- in people's words at United, his gamble is rough diamond, or you're paying top dollar for a player who is probably unattainable. And those two players were the two the two certainties, I think, in Kane and, and um, Osserman. United decide very early on not to go close to Kane, and we've covered that chapter in verse. Uh, I've, I did, it passed me by clearly on deadline day, but obviously Randall Cole and Wani went to PSG as well, and that was 95 million euros, which was roughly what United were being quoted for him, and that's why they didn't go for him and went for Hoyland. And Mwani's profile would have been more suited to the Premier League. I think his, his goal-scoring record, his age, uh, playing in um, playing in a you know, very good France team, playing the World Cup final, playing in the Bundesliga as well, which is probably... It's it's the league that prepares players best for the Premier League, I'd, I'd argue. But in terms of next year, I think, I think with Paul... I mean, we were told on the tour, uh, there are 1,800 forwards out there. It's one of these quotes that's not quite... I know, it's not... Am I on that list as well? Yeah, like, the scouting goal... 1,800 and wall, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's not got the, um, it's not got the traction that of the 804 right-backs four years ago, but that was what we were told. Like, the, the, you know, when I heard that, I thought... Oh, this is this has got to rival the 804 right backs, but it hasn't really. It's not really um, getting users to stick to stick to beat United with. And in, in fairness, from with with Hoyland, what I saw, also I was very impressed by, and I think the the interview he did with Patrick Davison of, of Sky Sports for um, for their pre match coverage, he came across really well. Uh, seems like a really good character, ready to work. He put himself about in that game. It'd be good if United actually, you know didn't keep him at arm's length and allowed those who cover the clock frequently speak to him and um, so we can, you know, gauge gauge more from from his character and it it helps. And when we're on tour, we, you know, we were given some really good quotes on him that we were then told we we couldn't use, which boggled the mind. And then there was probably, we were told that they didn't want to big him up too much. And then Ten Hag went on MUTV and said, he's the striker the players have been waiting for. So, uh, but I think in terms of communications issues at Manchester United, that's been the least of their worries over the last six weeks or so. I think, sorry, we're just going to say talking about strikers and, and the next forward they saw. When you look at their United rivals, top six rivals say, it's maybe only Arsenal who actually have two strikers as such in, in Jesus and Nketiah. And even Jesus can play on the right. And I saw you fluttering your eyelashes there, Stephen. And I was thinking, do I include Newcastle in this? But I think, you know, we're not really looking at teams in the relegation zone, facing a relegation battle. Is Isaac really a striker, though? He's he's such a... He's a brilliant forward, but he seems like one who can play across. He can play on the right. It's so interesting that that debate has been happening over the last six months, eight months, because he gets involved with Lincoln play. He is a he is a number nine. Yeah, he is, right. and, he's, and he's excellent at being a number nine as well. But I think when he first came to England, people were looking at him, as you say, look at the way he moves. He's so effortless. He kind of glides, doesn't he? He's like Ombre-esque, but he's definitely a number nine. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. But you look at like Tottenham, probably Richarlison and Son, their two centre-forwards can both play wide. Liverpool, all their forwards can play everywhere, basically. City have got Haaland and Alvarez, Guardiola doesn't like using Alvarez wide, but he's found this attacking midfield role for him. So the, the second, at least the second forward, if not the first, in all of those squads can play wide. So that's that's probably what United need. Uh, 
you know, Hoyland, and you look at Hoyland, I don't see him playing on the wing. You look at Evan Ferguson, I don't see him playing anywhere but the penalty box. Um, you know, they're, they're two players who just would not, they're one's a backup to the other. It doesn't work for me when one's 19 and one's 21. What you'd need is someone who can play on the right or on the left as well as centrally, and it just gives you more options. Like, you know, Sammy mentioned Gakpo before, he's probably ideal for that sort of role. He's played the number nine at Liverpool. He played off the left um, for PSV. Is he, is he one who got away? I'm not no. sure you could quite say that. I'm not sure you'd say he's that. He's no, no, no. I think he's, he's a decent player, but I don't think he's what United needed. He's the right, positionally, he's the right profile. Um, and, you know, I think if they'd assigned him next summer, you'd probably say he's he's an ideal backup. But I don't think he's good enough to say he's won the car away. Going back to Hoyland being likeable, I presume you both saw the clip of him after the Denmark game with the uh, the microphone. Oh, I heard, I heard about it. I think going to the Euros, he shouted down the microphone. Did ever of you have a fiery speech like that, Ivory Weddings? Or were the, were the best, <laughs> best man speeches a bit more disappointing? Because that, that got me stirred up, that did. Yeah, yeah. He's going to buy a Denmark I, 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 type. I the call. No. I, th- I, think it, I think the closest probably is on the occasional uh, WhatsApp group over something United related with uh, yeah. with other colleagues that's 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 happened once or twice recently but uh, not not I'm, I'm not putting my hands up on that one that's uh, it's maybe others who've, uh, who've done the shouting uh, we'll leave it there for part two gents uh, we'll be back in the moment for part three Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, I got a tweet on, it was either Friday or Saturday, off a listener from the podcast, and he said, thank you, Stephen, for not discussing international football. He said, I absolutely hate it. It's a load of rubbish. So what we're going to do right Samuel now... I was listening while he was off then. <laughs> we're going to discuss international football very, very quickly because it's, it's the end of the podcast, but we'll go over this segment. Uh, Tyrone, you wanted to talk about Scott McTominay. It's all your fault. You had an urge, didn't you? I mean, wanted is a, is a big word. He's been fantastic for Scotland, though, in all seriousness. Yeah. He really has, and he's, he's joined top goal scorer in the Euro qualifying at the moment with six goals with Hoyland and I think Lukaku as well actually so a lot of United links to my international knowledge Benny, Benny McCarthy <laughs> taking a lot of credit <laughs> there, yeah. Yeah. their course must have four or five <laughs> but he's, he's playing in this a bit more advanced position isn't he he's playing as a number eight and he, he gets this licence to, to roam forward his timing is, is runs late into the box Dare I say, like Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard did back in the day? Can I make that comparison? I think we can we can airbrush that on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but in, in terms of what this means for United, his performance is Tyrone. You made the very sensible point that it is good news for the club because it is bound to increase his resale value, isn't it? If there's going to be clubs interested, but so West Ham interested. If he's, if he's doing excellent for Scotland, that can only help the club potentially shift them in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep his value for sure. I think we're probably both expecting Maguire and McTominay to go next year. I think we're probably expecting at least one of them to go this year. They're not going to play an awful lot for the club this year. So if they're playing for their countries and, and playing well, then at least it's keep, it was giving them a platform to impress potential suitors. McTominay, you've seen what he's doing. I mean, he's been an absolute monster for Scotland, to be fair. He's, he's been fantastic. Um, six goals in, in five games. Maguire's still playing for England and deservedly so, I think. I know he gets a lot of criticism, but he is very reliable for England. Um, there's a lot of young centre-halves there who are pushing for that role, but none of them have got the experience that Maguire's got. And obviously, you only get that one way, but playing Mark Gway and Fakayo tomorrow maybe is a step too far, I think. I think Maguire's probably got a fight on his hands to keep his place for the Euros, but uh, you know, I don't think it's guaranteed he loses it. If he goes to the Euros and has the same kind of tournament he did two years ago, 
then United would probably get reasonable money for him next year because he was genuinely world-class. Real Madrid will be caught. 2021, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Turn out, can we have him back? Um, so, you know, it, it is good to keep them in, in the shop window. Like I say, McTominay has been superb for Scotland. I mean, they are qualifying, you know, half of Europe qualifies for um, the, the Euros these days. So there's not much jeopardy in those groups, but Scotland are top of a group, in, including Spain. Um, it's an incredible effort, really. And McTominay has been their star man. I think there's always this this debate about what what his best role is. And, you know, he, he played as a centre forward at times in the academy. I don't think he's a natural holding midfielder. Um, you know, we, I thought we did the last phrase, but going back to McFred, it always felt like they had to play as two holding midfielders because together they were like one holding midfielder, basically. You know, they, they weren't good enough to do that role on their own. Um, McTominay is, is better in this role we're seeing for Scotland where he's box to box, he can get forward. We've occasionally seen it at United. The, the Leeds games at Old Trafford spring to mind where he would get forward and time those runs into the box. And, you know, against Bielsa's Leeds where it was man-to-man marking, Solskjaer used him in quite an intelligent way to just run past your marker basically because we've seen that's what he can do. He's, he's quite a powerful runner like you mentioned before. Um, and, and he did that really well against Leeds, getting into the box and, and scoring. And that's what he's doing for Scotland. His goals aren't 25 yarders from distance. They're, they're quite close range finishes and he's really getting into the box and, and, and creating chances and, and taking chances. And, you know, that, that role's probably not available to him really. I mentioned before that Tenag signed four midfielders now. Kobe Mainu's coming through. I think McTominay's going to find it hard to, to really play that much this season. Um, but what he's doing for Scotland is probably going to mean United can still get decent money for him next season. He doesn't become kind of a forgotten midfielder where he has a nothing year at United, plays a dozen games and, you know, his, his value plummets. At least it's it's going to stay high if he can maintain this and Scotland look a certainty now to be at the Euros. So he'll get... He'll get there, yeah. He'll get that uh, that platform there as well. I'm, I'm Scottish, so hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. Okay, you're close enough. You must have some Scottish blood. Well, I'm technically half Scottish, I suppose, if you look at it that way. But uh, eligible to play for Scotland? Well, I was. I actually played for Scotland Youth System there uh, <laughs> growing up. Samuel, just to clarify, uh, do you reckon Solskjaer's got a photo of uh, Freddie McTominay in his house across the Heady days, weren't they? Uh, I, I presume neither of you are surprised that he's yet to return to management. I know there's some quotes recently flying around. He was asked whether he would return. He was linked to a women's team as well. Does, does that shock either Samuel Lucas or Tyrone Marshall? I, I think that probably does him a disservice. I mean, I don't think he was as good a United manager as somebody said. As some said, I don't think he was as bad as some said either. Um, he exceeds the expectations to last as as long as he did, but it is quite telling that he's, yeah, crack, it was nearly nearly two years ago that he was he was sacked now and it doesn't seem like there's ever been a a tangible offer that has come close to tempting him back into the game. I think it was, was it Club Rouge last season? I mean, if, if you're Scott not getting Parker that job got... when Scott Parker did get that job, um, then it, it, it feels like his, his card has been unfairly marked when he probably does deserve a, a crack at the whip at, a club where he has no ties whatsoever, but I think everyone just associates him with with United, and rightly or wrongly, that that might be prohibitive for him. It clearly has been prohibitive of him for for quite some some time now. I mean, it's as I said, it's the best part of two years since he was sacked, and there've, there've maybe there's maybe been the odd Premier League job where he thought he'd have done a better better had a better go at it than the the guy who got the role, but it's not like there's been a job out there where he thought, oh, that must absolutely go to 
Tuale Galasolskjaer. The um, I mean the obvious one. This is the international selection. Is the Norway job that he looks ideal for? Um, and uh, is it is it Stanley Solbakken is still there? Man? It was, but that was that was the thing. I remember. You look at me. I'm not going to help with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing in this qualifying section, but there's you know they they clearly underperformed recently for a team that's got Haaland and Odegaard in it. Um, you know, Solskjaer must be next in line for that job. You'd think he's at least going to garner the respect of, of some of those players. And I think he's certainly competent enough to manage an international team. That would be a romantic rekindling, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, Solskjaer and Haaland. Star-crossed lovers were meant to be together, weren't they? They were meant to be I surprised myself at Old Trafford the other week when I somehow recognised, I didn't know his name, but I recognised the Danish national team coach. I said, is that the Danish national team coach? Even Simon Peach, who goes here, there and everywhere covering England, he... He didn't realise it was him. I thought it was Jürgen Klinsmann. <laughs> <laughs> you do surprises whenever with Samuel at games. I mean, you know the me type. But if there's anyone with any relevant role or some obscure club, Samuel will clock them across in the director's box. Usually, it's an impressive quality you've got. Who, who was that? Like, yeah, there was. I think it was. A, was it Nottingham Forest's? Oh, Alan Tate. Yeah, yeah. You, you mean, I mean, instantly you realise the fair, and that was a story in itself, though, wasn't it? With yeah, an easy story. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Anyways, gents, we'll leave it there. We'll be back on Friday, I believe. Are you in on Friday, sir? Yeah, I'll be at you Carrington. Uh, I'm not, no. It's uh, my best mate's 40th birthday, so I'll be... Uh... It might be you and Rich then on uh, later in the week. A nice treat for you, Samuel. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks, Samuel, as Thank usual. you, Stephen. And thanks to listeners again. Uh, as usual, head across to YouTube, uh, as we've mentioned for this podcast, ticking over with the subscribers nicely, as I always say. And we're always available on Spotify, Apple, or your usual audio platforms. So have a fantastic week. We'll be back later on on Friday. Take care.